We're going to look this evening at, well, just one of the verses actually, but uh, at the prophecy of Zacharias, uh, which is found from verse 67. Zacharias being, of course, John's father, and Zacharias prophesies here. Verse 67, Luke chapter 1. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts, Till the day of his sowing, of his showing, unto Israel, Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, we come before Thee as we open up the Scriptures this evening. We pray that Thou wouldst help us, Lord, to give our best attention to Thy Word. We look at marvelous things here tonight, and some things, Father, which perhaps will be hard to be understood without a careful attention. So we pray, Father, for that ability this evening to be able to follow the readings, the texts of Scripture which support what is being said here today and those things which are quoted from and those things which are alluded to. And we pray, our Father, that thou wouldst help us to return to give thee glory and praise that we might be in awe of thee. We are here this evening to worship Lord, there is nothing like the worship which is a worship of understanding, a worship, O Lord, which is drawn forth from us, not something which we uh, seek to, uh, to calculate or to perform, but a worship, Lord, which is from our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we might see the glory of the Lord tonight, and we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst bless these words and these thoughts to us, that we might go from this place in awe of the God of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to think about the verse which is found there in verse 73, the oath which he swear to our father Abraham. That's going to be central uh, to the theme here this night. And we have already read from two portions of scripture. And uh, uh, first of those was in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 16. And it says there uh, that the Lord said, And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, 
that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying will I multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And then we read also from Hebrews in chapter 6, And in verse 14, we read, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so so I should have read the, the verse before as well. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So here is an oath which the Lord has sworn. I did actually put that on here and then forgot to click it up. Um, Here is the oath which the Lord had sworn to Abraham. And uh, that oath was that he would bless. And I want to consider what that oath was and how it affects us and uh, what uh, Zechariah was saying here by the Spirit of God. We saw that he began to prophesy when the Spirit of God came upon him. So I want to think about it under three heads as uh, we usually do. First of all, the promise made with an oath. Secondly, the person to whom the oath pertains and thirdly, the performance of the oath. So the promise made with an oath. There is a significance to the promise, of course, and uh, Zacharias here, uh, under the influence of the Spirit of God, being filled with the Holy Ghost, we there see in verse 67, uh, speaks of that oath. He makes uh, mention of it, and specifically the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. And here it is in Genesis 22, by myself have I sworn. And again, uh, we see again in Hebrews how God swore by himself because there was nothing greater for him to swear by. Couldn't swear by heaven because he had created that. Couldn't swear by the earth because he had created that as well. Uh, God is the ultimate and so he could only swear by himself. Uh, There is nothing greater than he but there is a significance which of that promise to us, and that is that in the seed of Abraham, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we, as Gentiles, I suppose, in this congregation, uh, have the promise of God that we will be blessed in the seed of Abraham. Now, the seed of Abraham, we will come later to consider But just to state at this point that the seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. It was the promised seed, uh, not uh, Isaac directly, uh, but through Isaac to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see how the Apostle Paul confirms that statement uh, a little later. So here we have then this promise and is picked up again by the Apostle Paul in Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 8. And it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Of course, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans also speaks about the faith of Abraham, who hoped against hope uh, that he would be the father 
of a son because God had given him that promise. And when he was past the age of fathering a son and his wife was past the age of, uh, of giving birth to a son, all of a sudden God comes and says, you are going to bear a son. And uh, about the time that it takes for a child to be conceived and to be brought forth, so the child was born. And that child, of course, was Isaac. And it was Isaac who Abraham was to take and to sacrifice upon Moriah. And it was Isaac that, that Abraham was willing to do uh, that with. And we find in Hebrews in chapter 11 uh, that, I, that Abraham uh, believed in the resurrection even then. He believed that if he sacrificed Ab- uh, Isaac, <clears throat> that Isaac would be raised from the dead. He believed that because he believed the promise of God. And God had already given him a promise concerning the, uh, uh, the nations of the world and concerning his offspring, that it would be like the sand of the sea, like the stars of heaven for multitude. So if Isaac was dead, that could never be. Isaac was at this point not married. He didn't have any children. So it was necessary then that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, even if he slew him. That was why he was willing to do that. It wasn't just the fact that he heard what, uh, what God said and was willing uh, to slay his son. That would be a dangerous doctrine because uh, that people believe all kinds of things, don't they? And uh, somebody might have a psychotic episode and believe that some angel or some god or something uh, came to them and told them to kill their child. In fact, uh, there was a case not long ago, wasn't there, where two women were killed by a man who had made a pact, he said, with the devil uh, that he might uh, win the, the lottery if he killed, uh, killed these women. Uh, and so there, there are people who are, are crazy enough to do such a thing but Abraham wasn't wasn't crazy Abraham believed God Abraham had a promise from God Abraham had already seen a part of that promise brought forth because being uh, so old as he was and his wife well past the, t- the age of bearing a child God gave him the child which he had promised and so Abraham believed God because he had seen this And now God said, slay your son. And he continued to believe that the rest of the promise must be fulfilled so that even if he slayed his son, there must be some way that he's not going to die, but or he's going to come back again. And in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll read just that. He received him in a figure, in a figure, because the angel of the Lord, of course, came and said, lay not your, your uh, your hand on the lad. And he offered the sacrifice of the ram in his stead which there is so much to be said, of course, about all of these things that we could preach uh, for a long, long time, covering all the angles, but we're not uh, seeking to do that. But here we're thinking about the significance of the promise to us, that the promise was to the seed, the promise was to Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, by faith, we have the promise which is given here, because the promise was to Christ, The promise was to Christ. And therefore, Christ is the recipient of the promise. Christ is the holder of the promise. And we'll see this again uh, a little later. And we are receiving that promise in Christ Jesus as we are connected to him. So the promise is spread amongst us and we also receive the promise. But apart from Christ, there is no promise which has been given to us. So this promise is the promise which is made here. This is the promise that is made with an oath. 
The second thing to say then is concerning the strength of this promise. We looked at Hebrews in chapter 6 and if you will uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter 6 once again uh, we will note those words. In fact it is on the screen uh, so you can see it there if you uh, want to see it on there or if you can see it. I wasn't sure if you'd be able to see it from the back from that distance because the writing is not huge because there's quite a lot of it. But in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 uh, which is about uh, uh, halfway down just just above halfway down there Uh, on the screen it says wherein god willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel immutability im meaning uh not and mutability being something which can change Uh, we know the word mutation it's a word which is uh, banded about quite a lot these days about mutants and mutation And we know about the mutation of butterflies, for instance, from being caterpillars to being butterflies. Uh, But God doesn't even change that much. Of course, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It mutates from caterpillar to butterfly, but it's still the same DNA. It's still the same creature as it was before, just in a different form. But God is immutable. God does not change at all. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So by two immutable, unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. That we might have a strong consolation. The strength of the promise, two immutable things, what are they? Well, first of all, the first immutable thing is God's word, because God is truth. And therefore, nothing he says will ever be false. Everything he says will be true. And so by that immutable thing, in the fact that God does not change, he is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. These are the words of an ungodly Balaam, uh, by the way, uh, who spoke and uh, uh, was unable to say anything but the truth because God forbade him to do so. God is not a man that he should lie. So here's an immutable thing, that God speaks always the truth, only the truth, and the whole truth. And so by that immutable thing, we can be sure that when God says something, that is the fact. Then the second immutable thing is the fact that he swears, and he swears by the highest and by the only eternal thing that there is, the only infinite thing that there is, and that is himself. Uh, Perhaps uh, we might be comforted if he could swear by something else. But there is nothing else that that he can swear by. There is nothing which is greater than him. You know, some people kind of think about the attributes of God as being something external to God. Uh, it's a description that we have of God so we can say that God is good and so therefore if God is good then goodness must exist somewhere that God can be it but that is not true goodness is goodness because it is God God is goodness Uh, we think about eternality and we might think well there must be something of an eternality that God can be it but no God is the eternal And so these attributes, although we think of them as separate from God and they belong to God, they are actually God. God is those things. All things stem from him. Everything comes forth from him. 
And so here we have this uh, great immutable oath as he swears by himself. Genesis twenty-two sixteen, and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying will I multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess, possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The strength of the promise then, by two immutable things, this is a certain promise. Uh, there is no doubt in this promise, can be no doubt to this promise. Thirdly, then, considering the promise made with an oath, we see the substance of the blessing. First of all, it's an unconditional blessing. God's promise is that the seed in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He doesn't say in thy seed if he continues to follow me. He doesn't say in thy seed if these conditions are met. It is an unconditional promise in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Of course, we can understand that God is able to make that statement because he knows that the seed, being Jesus Christ, is uh, impeccable, uh, that he will not fail, that he will uh, fulfill all that is given him to do, and that all will be saved, all that are saved will be saved through him. He also knows that not just the Jews, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Sometimes we think of Abraham as being a Jew, but Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham (coughs) wasn't, in fact, even an Israelite, because the Israelites began with his grandson, Jacob, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That's when the Israelites began. Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. And the promise is given not just to his direct descendants, but all the nations of the earth through the seed which would come, which, as we are stating at this point, was Jesus Christ. The substance of the blessing, first of all, then, is it's an unconditional blessing. Secondly, there are uncountable recipients. They shall be as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. Not countable. There is no way that we can know how much sand is on the seashore. Uh, Even if it were possible to take it grain by grain, uh, it would blow and move and you would lose your count and you'd have to start again and that would take forever, even if it could be counted. Uh, The stars of heaven, well, they're still finding new stars in heaven uh, up to this day. And uh, we have very powerful telescopes, even ones which are orbiting the earth. And they are seeing more and more stars. And I was just reading uh, uh, yesterday, in fact, <clears throat> about uh, some more stars that they've just discovered uh, on the other side of a dust cloud. So they think it is a dust cloud. Of course, nobody's been there to see if it's dust or not. But that's what we're told. The stars are still being found. They are myriad. They seem to uh, stretch for as far as can be seen. Uh, and uh, uh, by the, uh, the understanding of those who don't believe in God... They just stretch for eternity. They just keep on going. And, and who knows uh, how far you would need to be able to see. Uh, they say that it is back in time because that's how long the light has taken to get here. Well, we take all that with a pinch of salt. Uh, but nevertheless, that is what is told us. So uncountable recipients uh, that, that God is going to bless all the nations of the earth. 
There will be a seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And then we think also that there is an unlimited reach. It's not limited because it is to all the nations of the world. And so it's not restricted to the house of Israel. We know that when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world that he preached and he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But it was because the promises were to Israel that the Messiah would come and he would come to them. And so Jesus preached to them, but he said to his disciples that they were to go forth from Jerusalem uh, to Samaria uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, that command is still to us to go out unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. An unlimited reach, not, ri- not limited in, uh, in, in reach around the world and not limited either uh, until the last of the elect is drawn in uh, it will reach all and that, that, that all might hear and then finally an ultimate responsibility where it says here to possess the gate of the enemy when we think of Jesus Christ as being that seed which was promised he will possess the gate of the enemy of course he possessed the gate of the enemy who came to him in the wilderness and sought to uh, tempt him and say to him that he could take shortcuts, uh, that he could do this, so he could do that, and and he would be uh, uh, helped by the wicked one, the opposer. Uh, but he possessed the gate of his enemy. He said that, that the prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. And Jesus Christ was victorious. He wasn't only victorious over Satan, but he was victorious over death, and ascended that third day. Uh, or uh, I mean uh, resurrected that third day and ascended into heaven he is victorious and of course when the Lord Jesus returns then all the enemies will be put under his feet and all things all will know who this is so the promise is made with an oath it is a promise which should cause us to rejoice uh, is a promise that sh- could, should cause us to worship in the presence of the almighty to glorify his name So we come secondly then to the person to whom the oath pertains. And the one to whom the earth pertains is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've made the statement, we will also look at the scriptures concerning those those things. But in fact, we'll just look at those verses. It might be better to say that now. The promise was made to Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, Uh, which is a tremendous uh, portion of scripture, but uh, Galatians is quite hard to get hold of. But in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So the promise can't have been to Isaac because the law was given to Moses much much later than Isaac. So obviously the promise, the one to whom the promise was made, was not yet come in the days of Moses. The law was given because of transgression, because of transgression. It's interesting, actually, when you read the book of Exodus in chapter 19, God lays out all the blessings which the people are to have. But the people are already uh, straying from God. They are not living by the spirit of of the of the word of God they are not living uh, to glorify his name uh, but are already looking for ways that they might somehow circumvent what God wants 
because of the corruption of our hearts. And then because they sin against God, God gives them the law. Then the law comes and the law is given to them and it is harsh. It is hard. And God is really saying to them, if you won't live to the glory of my name, if you won't live because you love me and because you love your neighbor, then I will give you strict laws and you can live by them instead. And that's what the people tried to do. They tried to live by these strict laws. They didn't really still understand. Of course, Jesus understood when he said, was asked what was the greatest of the commandments. And he said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. To love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon this, all the commandments hang. Jesus understood But the people didn't understand. So the law was given, therefore, because of the transgression, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels or messengers in the hand of a mediator. And then in verse 16, which is, I know, previous to verse 19, but in uh, verse 16 of Galatians 3, uh, Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. This is the specific verse which tells us who Christ is. To Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. Paul, of course, is the revealer of the mysteries which have been revealed to him by Christ. And Paul often speaks about those mysteries, the mysteries which are now made known unto us. And the Apostle Paul lays it out nice and clear. Now, uh, the disciples might have said to the Lord Jesus, Now speakest thou not in parables, now thou speakest clearly. And here Paul is laying it out for us. He is making absolutely certain that we know who the seed is. He is not saying that what is written in the Old Testament uh, bears this out because because of the syntax or because of the way it's written. But he is making the statement. He is saying the seed to whom the promises were made, is Christ. That's his statement. And of course, the the Lord had given him uh, that position to make those statements to us. So who is this person to whom the oath pertains? Well, it is Christ. And first of all, we can say that he is the holder of all. The holder of all. First, we can say that he is the holder of the interests that we have in the inheritance our inheritance is in the promise but the promise is held by christ the promise is held by him as our representative as our advocate as our substitute as our redeemer as he who has paid the ransom as he who is accepted before the father as he in whom we have salvation. He holds all of this in his hand. He holds the promise. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, listen to the words, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The in whom at the beginning, I didn't give the verses before it, but the in whom is Christ. In whom ye also trusted. It is Christ. We trust in Christ. 
who has given us the earnest or the seal of the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So he holds our interests in his hand. And praise God that he does, because if we held them, we probably would have let them slip through our fingers by now. Um, we would have trusted, uh, we would have inherited the promises, and in this world, while still sinners, they would have fallen through our fingers and we would be lost. And all the promises would be gone, because we couldn't hold on to them. But Jesus Christ holds on to them. He holds on to them on our behalf. He holds on to them while we trust in him. And as we put our faith and trust in him, we look to that glorious day when this life is over and the fullness of our redemption is complete. And we stand in his presence, receiving the promise which is given to Christ. Christ is the holder of all. He holds our interests as our advocate. An advocate is one who is called to our side. The word uh, vocare there, which means to voice or to call. He is called to our side. He is our helper then, which is why the Holy Spirit is called uh, our advocate too. He is called our advocate in First John and in the second chapter. And there he is called our advocate. But he is our advocate because he is called to our aid. I will give you another comforter. I will give you someone who will stand by you. We are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. But he is also our advocate because he speaks for us. So Christ is at the right hand of God. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He is our advocate. He holds our interests. They are in his hand. And of course in the scripture we find that he is our husband. That he is responsible for us before God. So we find then that this person to whom the oath pertains is Christ and praise God that it is Christ and that it's not us. It's not the church. The Church of Rome would say uh, that it's in their hands. It's in the hand of the, of the Pope and of the, uh, and of the cardinals and of the bishops and the, the church is that great um, magisterium which holds salvation. You must belong to the church. No, it belongs to Christ. We belong to him. If we, our faith is in him. And then also the person to whom the oath pertains is the highest of all. He is the highest of all. He is the highest of humanity because he has not fallen. He is the highest of uh, all who have come into the world. And the scripture has various things to say concerning him. It talks about the Lord Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek. And of Melchizedek it is written in Hebrews 7, 4, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Jesus himself in Matthew 12 and verse 42 says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. That's not the verse I meant to read, actually. It was John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, with reference to Abraham rather than to Solomon. But he is greater than Abraham. He was before Abraham. He is greater than Solomon. A greater than Solomon is here. And we, we know that the Lord Jesus is greater than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1. He is greater than the temple. Uh, he is that temple in which we cut to, to which we come. He is the highest of all. 
the person to whom the oath pertains. And God was speaking of Christ. And in Christ we have salvation and all the fulfillment of the promises of God. And then finally we see here the performance of the oath. The performance of the oath. Going back to Luke's gospel, and we haven't looked an awful lot at Luke's gospel or the words of it as yet, but we turn back to Luke's gospel in chapter 1. <clears throat> we say, see there in verse 74 these words, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Serve him without fear. The performance of the oath first of all then, is a liberation from dread. A liberation from dread. Fear. Fear is the, uh, the, the greatest of our enemies in, in lots of ways. Uh, even when we think of death as being the greatest enemy overall, uh, we read in Hebrews, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Uh, people speak about a fate worse than death. But even someone who may have suffered in such a way uh, will still plead for their life. Remember how Satan, as he stood before God, said concerning Job, skin for skin, but all th- a man will give all things for his life. And God said, you can touch everything he is. You can touch all, his, all of his body and his flesh, but you must save his soul. But we will give all things for our life. Uh, but here is the liberation from dread. Why? Well, because, as the Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is present with the world. That he would rather depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. And he had no dread of death. Remember when they were to, uh, uh, when the great outcry came about because of the silversmiths and they took him into that great stadium uh, as they cried out, uh, great is the God of the Ephesians, Diana, it, it was. And Paul was willing to go out and talk to them all. He was willing to address this great stadium of people and to tell them of Jesus Christ. If they stoned him to death, too bad. Too bad for them, but not too bad for him. No fear in him because he knew of the promise which was in Christ Jesus. The performance of the oath then in liberation from dread and then a performance of the oath in life over death. And we know that the scripture uh, speaks about the salvation which is ours and that uh, we are saved from death. We see the death of Christ. Couldn't hold him. He rises on the third day. And all who are in Christ Jesus will rise with him. Uh, He said that um, the time would come when all that are in the graves would hear the voice of the Son of Man and that they would live And Jesus Christ has this power of life over death, both spiritually, if we are in Christ, that we should die to self and die to sin and live unto God, but also physically, that even if we should be laid in the grave or should be turned to ash, yet nevertheless, as Job puts it, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So there is a life over the dead. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. There we have these glorious promises and the promises, as we see, 
are the oath which he sware unto our father Abraham. Deliverance. That we should know the, the, the blessing of the Lord, the, this great inheritance of salvation. And then also the performance of the oath is light in darkness. In Luke, again, in verse 78, it says, Through the tender mercy of, of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring from on high to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. We, of course, live in the shadow of death. Uh, we sometimes think that the shadow of death is something more. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But really, this life is a shadow of death. We know that we are always in the shadow of death. We know that our lives can end in a moment, uh, that there is no guarantee that our lives will continue tomorrow or even to the end of this night. There is no guarantee set before us that our lives would go on. We live always in the shadow of death. We live in the shadow of death because sin entered into the world. But here we find the day spring. Here we find him that is that lights them that sit in darkness. A reference back to Isaiah. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 we read, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the store of the stall the sun this brightness and, and and the power of course of the sun we may have noticed it if you're a driver you certainly would have noticed the sun in these days when it's clear um when you can hardly see because it is shining in your eyes through the fr- through the windscreen and you're pulling down your sunshade and it has to be quite low because the sun's so low in the sky i remember when we used to do sunday school in cranford you used to come out of the school there after sunday school and it was right into the sun you couldn't see uh, where you were going you couldn't see what was coming because it was so bright and so low in the sky and of course here we have this brightness uh, which arises with healing in his wings and that's the promise of malachi unto those that fear his name to Peter, chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, Revelation 22, and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Here we have the light which is in Christ Jesus, a light in darkness, a light to lighten our way, a light to show us those paths of righteousness that we might walk in them. And then in the performance of the oath, this loosing from defilement. In Luke one seventy-seven, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. The remission of our sins looses us from the defilement of sin that we might be free. And in verse 74, it says that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. A loosing from the defilement of sin, but also a loosing unto a walking before him in righteousness so that sin should no longer have dominion over us. Again, as Paul writes in the book of Romans. So all of these things are found in Christ. The promise of God, which is to Christ, 
which is delivered to us by faith when we trust in him. And he holds it so that it can never be taken from us and we can never lose it while we are looking unto Jesus. And by the grace of God, once we look unto Jesus, he fixes our gaze that we can look nowhere else. And praise God for so great salvation which is wrought in Christ. Zechariah then, being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaks of these things that there has come in the house of his servant David, uh, that he which had been since the world began, that we should be saved for our enemies from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And may we do so, and may we give him the glory and the praise, and may we seek that close walk with him also, to know the fullness of his blessing while we abide in this dark world with the light of the Lord upon us. In Jesus' name.